Welcome to Tauri's Community Church. We hope this talk helps you in figuring it out because we believe that when people discover truth and love, they are able to face life in a different kind of way and come alive. If this talk is relevant for you and you wish to discover more, please head over to tauraisecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. And with that, we hope you enjoy today's talk. Is everyone well? Everyone having a fantastic weekend? Now, just for the four people who have yet to ask me yet, yes, we had a lovely time with Camilla yesterday for the sleepover. I promise I'm not going to baby spam like Sharon and Jono do every time I get up here, but I was amazed at how many of you started asking me as you came through the door, did you have, you not have a nice time with Camilla? How did, did she enjoy her sleepover? Of course she did, she was with us, but we had to give her back to her parents. You know, that's, that's how, how life goes anyway. I, I want to tell you a story. And about 10 years ago, uh, as a church, we found, we found that um, we had a major financial issue in front of us. Uh, we just built the building, and, and the, Rod did an amazing job in, bringing, in, in um, overseeing the building and bringing it all together. But you know, we, we actually built the building here, this whole building, in about nine months, uh, which was absolutely phenomenal, given the size of it. But it was because he'd, you know, largely because he prepared so well and coordinated it all and helped drive it all as well. But as with so many building projects, guess what? It went over budget. And so we found that we had a debt that was bigger than we wanted. And we've still got a debt that's bigger than we want. Guess how much we'd like our debt to be? Oh, that's good. That's, that's very good. Yeah, we'd like it to be zero, but it's not. But we came to a crunch point. This is about 10 years ago, something like that. Uh, where we had a $300,000 debt, uh, which is just part of the debt, and it had to be repaid. And so we went to the church, and we didn't think the church could actually give very much because uh, the church had been, people in the church had been just so amazingly generous in terms of getting the, the project up and running in the first place. And uh, we went and presented the need to the church, and, and, um, but, you know, people were pretty well given out, uh, and so there wasn't much that came through, and so there was about a $300,000 shortfall that was there. And you know, Sharon and I remember this quite well. We got to the, uh, to the end of the Friday, and um, uh, we're praying that somehow the money would come through, because the debt was repayable on the Monday. And we, uh, we thought, well, if nothing happens, we'll just go and mortgage our home and um, we'll borrow personally and we'll, we'll um, uh, take care of it, the loan that way. And, okay, we, we decided, that's what we'd do. We decided on Monday we'd go to the bank and make those arrangements if, if nothing, if a miracle hadn't happened. And then the phone rang. And it was someone who doesn't go to this church <coughs> um, who wanted to catch up with Sharon and I uh, the next day. And we're, you know, good friends with them, so we went and caught up with this couple for, um, in, a, in a cafe, and we had a nice time chatting away in the cafe, and, and then they pushed this envelope across the table, and um, we opened it, and saw there's this check for $300,000, which is being given as a gift. Wow. I get emotional just now thinking about it, and the amazing generosity of people. Uh, the amazing generosity of God's people, people who, who where, where they allow God to shape their heart and to use their heart and to use anything and everything that's part of them. Now, the attitude of generosity that these people had was absolutely astounding. And, um, you know, it was just amazing. But there are also people in this church who've done similar things over the years. And there are people in this church here today who have dis displayed that same kind of sacrificial, loving attitude in relation to their wealth. And I just want to thank you for that. Uh, because it's absolutely, absolutely incredible. You know, it, the verse that I say time and time and time again, our 2 Corinthians 9, is that we're to give whatever is in our heart to give, and then God loves a cheerful giver. Now, it's not giving under compulsion or giving because we have to or giving because we think that there's going to be some huge financial reward coming back because there may well not be. But it's giving because God has shaped our heart and he's given us a, a spirit of generosity. And guess what? The spirit of generosity doesn't flow just into ourselves. It's an outward flowing thing. It flows out to others. It flows out to do God's work on this earth. Now, with this 
<clears throat> series that we're doing, which is based on my book uh, that Sharon is writing at the moment, called The House That Love Built. Uh, it's been an incredible journey over the years. We're so often we've seen that we've been uh, carried along by the Holy Spirit. We've been uh, compelled by the Holy Spirit at other times. We've been shaped by the Holy Spirit as, as we, we find that um, our thoughts and, and our feelings have been shaped at times and uh, our, uh, the Holy Spirit prompts our actions and he opens our hearts. And what a journey it's been. It hasn't been a journey of just logic and strategic planning. It's been a journey of being carried along by the Holy Spirit. And as we as a church are being carried along by the Holy Spirit, so are you who are the church. The church isn't the building, the church is us. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to the church, he's speaking to, to each and every one of you. So say, he who is here, or she who has got ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Before we go on further, I'm just going to pray. So Father, I thank you. I thank you for your beauty. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your generosity in being prepared to, to send your one and only son to this earth to die for us. And I thank you for the generosity of your people. I thank you that you call us to be your disciples who will be facilitators and conduits of your love into this broken world, into this world which so needs your love. And I thank you for the way that you have used people's generosity uh, in building this place and in ministering to others. Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit be with us today and that you'll speak to each and every one of us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, guys, you're with me still? That's an encouraging sign. So today I want to ask you three questions in relation to your wealth. And uh, just three simple questions, and some of those questions you'll probably be quite familiar with because they're part of the foundation of this church, and it's what we've talked about over the time. And the first of these questions is about our attitude. I guess they're all about our attitude, but are we an owner or a steward? Now, in, um, in, in the Gospels, in, in Luke uh, chapter, what is it, Luke chapter 18, we, we see the parable of the, um, of the rich young ruler. Many of you know this story. There's this, this rich young man and he came up to Jesus and, and he wanted to know what he had to do to eternal life, to inherit eternal life. His emphasis on, on what he had to do, thinking that somehow he actually had to, uh, to do all these right things. And Jesus responded by, by giving him a bit of a list. It wasn't a comprehensive list, but it was good enough. This, the first point, the starting point, and I think we could, most of us could say yes to this, is don't go and kill anyone. Are we all, all clear so far on that? Are we all okay on that? I mean, then the second one probably a little bit harder, and it says, uh, I don't want you to have uh, sex outside of marriage. I don't want you to commit adultery. And then he went on through a list of do's and don'ts. I, I don't want you to go and, and bear false witness to lie about another person, or about your neighbour. Uh, I don't want you to go and steal and rip people off. Uh, I want you to live a good life. I want you to do these good things. And the rich young ruler had been there and he'd be going, tick, 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 yep, uh, hey, that's good. I've done all of these since I was a child. Uh, not a problem. And then Jesus says, but there's one other thing that I'm going to add to the list. And that is, I want you to go and take all of your possessions and sell them and give the money to the poor. Ouch. And that was a point in time where the rich young ruler... He stumbled because he had great wealth. And what Jesus was asking him to do was absolutely huge. And sadly, he went away at that particular point in time. Just to clarify, it doesn't mean that you can't be, come into the kingdom of God if you don't sell all of your, your possessions. That's not what the passage is saying. Because the disciples then said to Jesus, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, well, what's impossible for man is not impossible for God. And we've got to realise that our salvation comes not as a result of, of the things that we do in trying to earn a perfect life, but our salvation comes because of the gracious gift of, of, of salvation, the gracious gift of forgiveness that God is prepared to give us if we're prepared to receive it. So this young man, he thought that he owned his wealth but the truth was that his wealth actually owned him. You know, you think about it this, he would only do what his wealth would let him do. It had a hold over him. 
oh, friends, that's, that's such a, a, a truism in today's society that, that we are so limited in what we would do because we go through and we gather up and we accumulate and we accumulate. And it's like every decision that we make tends to, you know, perhaps I'm exaggerating when I say every, but, but there's a financial ramification where we'll actually weigh it up and see if we're prepared to or not. And, you know, there are times when we see needs and, and we think, oh, I'd love to help with that need, but I can't because it would involve me depleting my wealth or my finances, or I can't because the cost is too much. And I think that's the issue that we see here highlighted with this rich young ruler. He wanted to be godly, he wanted to do the right thing, he wanted to follow Jesus, but there was a point where there became a stumbling block, and that is about his finances. You know, Rick Warren, the pastor over in, in um, Los Angeles, once said this, he said, well, quite often he said this, I've heard him. He said that uh, probably the last part of a person to be discipled is their bank account. Because our finances, we hold on to them. The natural reaction is to hold on. We want to accumulate, we want more. Often our identity and our security will very, very much rely upon our finances. And when we find that our finances aren't where we want, we can have great grief, we can have great depression, we can have great anxiety, depending on who we are and how we respond to things like this. But Jesus wants to set us free from our finances having such a hold over ourselves. He doesn't want us to be bound to our finances like this. Coming back to the rich young ruler, he had the attitude of being an owner rather than a steward. God wants us to be a steward. You see, what a steward is, is a steward is someone who will hold something on behalf of someone else. So if I have some money and I, and I pass it to you, Alex, and you are holding it there, give it back. I don't try. <laughs> you, you are holding it there on my behalf. It's not really yours. It's, it's really mine. And that's how God wants us to be with the resources that we have. Now, Jesus said that our attitude to our wealth could easily be a blockage to our faith. In this passage, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Just to clarify, that's the eye of a needle on the screen there. Uh, the eye of a needle was a small gate uh, to enter, uh, enter into through a wall. So in this particular gate in Jerusalem that you see on the wall there, there was a large gate with a smaller gate in it. And that's the eye of a needle. And so that's, that's what the passage is actually talking about. Now, as I said, this passage doesn't mean that a rich person can't enter the kingdom of heaven. But let, let's be frank. Compared to people, the average person in, in South Asia, for example, or Central Asia... We are wealthy, or the average person in South America or Africa, we are wealthy. Even the poorest amongst us uh, have a wealth that, that just so many people in this world do not have. So this is a challenge, not just to the wealthiest amongst us, but it's a challenge for each and every one of us. Now, I've been inspired by a couple in Melbourne. Uh, their names are Craig and Di. And Craig made a fortune... Uh, he sold shares in a company and he made a couple of hundred million dollars out of it. Uh, that's a fortune in anyone's terms, isn't it? Yep. And then he put a lot of that money into a, a, a philanthropic foundation to be able to give away. And the foundation has been set up to give money into four different areas. Uh, Australia's First, First Nations people, climate change, disability care and advancing the Christian faith. Well, after he put that money in the foundation... Uh, money was still in shares in, in one company in particular, and the share price skyrocketed. And now there's about $2 billion in there, by, by my estimate. And his plan, uh, their plan, John and Di's plan, is to give all of this away over the next 10 years. It's incredible. But you see, what they've realised is that they are stewards, not owners. Now, Many of you have seen the Alpha film series here. Put up your hand if you've seen the Alpha film series. Yeah, a lot of you have. Isn't it good? Well, that was, that was made with money from this foundation. 
Uh, there would have been money from other foundations as well. But they gave generously, this foundation gave generously to see the, uh, the Alpha Film series put together. And I understand that uh, Nicky Gumbel and the people from Alpha wrote uh, this beautiful letter of thanksgiving to, to John and Di, oh, sorry, to Craig and Di, thanking them for their incredible generosity. Apparently, this really upset Craig. And I understand that he said, I never want to, uh, to receive a letter like this again. Why? Because it wasn't about his generosity. He just realised that he wasn't an owner of these resources. He was here as a steward of these resources. And he was prepared to actually allow them to be used for God's purposes here on this earth. He was, an, he was a steward and not an owner. A steward holds what they have on behalf of someone else. And whether you're a steward or an owner will determine who really owns your wealth. Now, the second question I want to touch on today is simply, what is your top priority? Well, your top priority will determine where you direct your wealth and what you actually do with it. Now, let me explain. There's a parable here on the, on the screen of a rich uh, fool. And there's this man and... Uh, uh, he, he was a wealthy man and he had all of his crops and the crops just, he had a bumper season. So much with the, the, the crops that he realised he never had to work again. And so he built a warehouse which is even bigger than his, his current warehouse to store the crops in. And he thought, I'm just going to sit back and take it easy uh, for the rest of my life. I'm just going to uh, eat and drink and have a good time and live off what I've already accumulated. But then God said to him, in this parable, he said, God said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. This parable is talking about the fact that our priority needs to be to be rich towards God rather than just uh, accumulating things for our own sake. If we store up things for ourselves, we'll be like a farm dam that never releases the water to irrigate the crops surrounding it. But if we're rich towards God, we'll be like a, an irrigation channel and use our resources for his purposes and, and his work. Now, coming back to this parable, if, let, let's look at a modern-day equivalent. We do well. Um, we perhaps sell our business or we make a financial killing or whatever it might be. We accumulate a lot of wealth. And then when we think, I don't actually have to be productive anymore. That's what this, this man in this parable was saying. See, in the, the town or the area where he lived, people were probably relying on him uh, growing more and growing more and growing more and be, then being able to sell and distribute for crops so that they could eat, if they could have employment from him. This parable talks about someone who got to the point where it was all about him and he just wanted to withdraw and not use the gifts and the opportunity that God had given him and just make it all about himself. We can be like that ourselves. When we think, yeah, I've made it. I'm just going to use the wealth I've got to buy a really, really big house and take lots of holidays. I'll become a grey nomad. Uh, travelling around the country just endlessly, just, just seeking to please myself. But the problem, there are a couple of problems. One of them is that when we, we cease to be a contributing part of society, and then the other problem is when we cease to use, allow the resources that we have to have a multiplier effect going on to benefit others. God doesn't want us just to be rich towards ourselves. He wants us to be rich towards towards him, so that his work on this earth gets done. Now, many of you in this church are incredibly generous, and, and I really appreciate that. Rod mentioned earlier about the Launceston Football Club and the work that uh, Jono and Caleb have been doing down there. You know, that wouldn't be possible without your financial generosity. See, allowing your finances to flow allows their time and talents to flow. Do you get that? It's, it's like different parts of a jigsaw coming together so that ultimately God's love can flow. Now, let's have a quick look 
that, that list that uh, Rod mentioned earlier, 17 young lives have been impacted this year with issues like problem gambling, self-harm, devastating injuries, uh, unhealthy work situations, mental health, serious mental health issues, grief from a loss of loved ones, shock from, from finding that a loved one had, had self-harmed and being the first person on the scene and having to deal with that. Breakups of relationships, access to kids as a result of breakups and finding new purpose, plus all the other normal ups and downs um, that we have when we help people work life out. You know, what those two guys has done has been incredible down at the, the footy club. But it's not just those two guys, because behind them, there's a bunch of people who are faithfully and generously contributing finances to pay wages, to deploy people into areas like this, so that the blessings of God can flow. Friends, owners accumulate because they make themselves their own top priority. But stewards allocate because investing in God's work is their priority. So you get this. Owners, if you've got the attitude of, of an owner, you will accumulate. That will be your main priority. If you've got the attitude of being a steward, your main priority will be to allocate what you have for the sake of others or for the sake of God's work. And if the core of a desire to accumulate rather than allocate is often an attitude that we can have, which is called lack. You see, lack sounds like this. Lack sounds like, I need more money. Uh, I need more comfort. I need a new iPhone. Actually, that one's not so bad. Um, I, I need a nicer house. I need more. I need, I need, I need. One of the things that has given, given you know, really given rise to this attitude, uh, well, I guess sociologically, back in the 1970s, uh, my generation, the boom, baby boomers, you can blame it all on us, on my generation, we found that we had more, more uh, wealth, a higher disposable, in disposable income, uh, more consumerism arose because of, of shops being available. Advertising played a huge role. What does that ad advertising try and convince you? It tries to convince you that you're not satisfied and that you need something more. And so in the 1970s, there was a thing called the me generation that arose. And really, everyone else coming after the baby boomers is to one degree or another uh, a product of the me generation. And the me generation was all about me, my rights, my opportunities, uh, what I can attain, the house that I can build, uh, the career that I can build. Going back before that, and we see this today in many third world countries, People don't have the opportunity to, to really get sucked into that, that same kind of uh, psyche because they're too busy trying to survive. Uh, they're too busy just working hard and just trying to pay the bills and trying to put food on the table. But for us, the more we have in society, the more we want. And the more we tend to think of, of this whole issue of lack because lack is looking at the, the, the cup which is half full and instead of looking at, at what's already in here, it's actually looking at the gap and thinking, I want more, I want more. And so this whole thing about the me generation, it causes us to have a fight, a fight that goes on between ourselves and our own desires and what God wants for us. Jesus said it like this, he said, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, a, a person can't serve two masters. He'll love one and hate the other. And so we're set up for this fight, this tussle in society to see who is going to win, whether the accumulation of wealth, money, comfort, leisure, uh, all of this is actually going to win out in our lives or whether God's will is going to win, uh, win out in our lives. If, if, if we're coming from that, that position of lack, and we realise that we want more and more and more, we become owners and we become accumulators. But if we allow God's will to work out in our lives, we become stewards and we become a conduit through which his love and his resources can flow. And we realise that he has blessed us so that we can be a blessing to others. And then his work on this earth gets advanced. And this brings me to the 
the third uh, point, the third question. What will you do with what God gives you? What will you do with what God gives you or has given you? On the screen, there is a parable of the talents. You know, it starts off, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusted his wealth to them, saying, here, here's here's the money I want to give you. Here's the bags of gold I want to give you. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, he gave two bags of gold. To another, he gave one bag of gold. And he went away. But he lent it to him. The people who received them weren't to be owners, they were to be stewards because there was a day when he was coming back and he was going to be demanding that that money comes back. Well, the first one, the one who received five, he did did really, really well. Uh, What he did, he went out and and put the money to work and, and he doubled it so that when the master came back, it wasn't just about here's your five back again, here's your five and here's five more. And the one who was given two, he did likewise. He, he went and put the money to work and he, he doubled it so that when the master came back, here's the two that you gave me and here's the other two that, that you've received as well. To both of these, the master's attitude was, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and join in your master's happiness. But for the one who received just one bag of gold, what did he do? He, he went and buried it. He just kept it safe. He just was then able to give back to the master the one bag of gold back again. The master was peeved at this man because it wasn't just the fact that he only got back what he had given him in the first place, but it was a missed opportunity. He didn't take advantage of the opportunity that he did to magnify, to multiply what he had been given. Now, friends, I believe that's a lesson for us. God doesn't want us just to keep safe um, what he gives us. He wants us to multiply it. And we allow our resources to go out as we allow our love to, to flow. There'll be multiplication taking place where it's not just one person. There'll be person after person after person who gets touched by the way God uses us. So the question is this. How can you... Use what you have for God's purposes on this earth. How can you use what's in your hand, what you have for God's purposes? I remember about 22 years ago, 1999, um, I just sold my business and um, we were cashed up uh, at the time. We were very, very cashed up and we wanted to buy a shack. And so we were looking down at Shearwater, we felt, felt about buying a shack at Shearwater. And we went through and had a look through this lovely house down at Shearwater. And um, the, the value of it back then was absolutely nothing compared to uh, what you pay for a house uh, today. Uh, you, could, you, you could, couldn't buy a vacant block of land for what we purchased it for back then. But it was a lot of money back then. And we went and had a, a family conference and I think Rachel would have been about four at the time. And I remember us sitting on a, a bench uh, near the beach having a bit of a family conference. And we pretty well decided, no, nah, it's too nice. Uh, we, it's, it's too much money. Uh, we don't want it. We, uh, we, we love this place, but we actually don't know that it's the right thing to go and just to put, something, put our money into something which would be fairly self-indulgent at the time. But then thinking about it, I thought, well, hang on, hold on. Wouldn't it be better to have our money in a house like this where it could be a blessing for other people rather than just sitting in the bank where it's of no benefit to anyone else? It's a bit like the, the second parable we told about the person who just stored up and stored up and stored up. And anyway, so we went, we went ahead and we, we purchased it and we still got it today. We, we spent the weekend there, came up from there overnight. But in buying that, we, we decided that we wanted to be a place of hospitality where we could bless many. And over the years, there have been dozens and dozens of people from, uh, in ministry in particular from the mainland and some from overseas who've had times of rest and restoration, recuperation uh, down there. And so at times it's been awkward for us trying to get down there uh, because, oh, we can't, can't for the next couple of weeks because such and such is down there. This is one of the really good side effects of a pandemic, eh? People can't fly in as readily, so we've got more access to it. 
But you see, the thing is that we decided to use that which God had given us and allowed us to have, but not just for ourselves, but as a way of actually uh, being a, a place of ministry and taking it out to others. Now, we can all do that. We can do that with our, our homes. We can do that with um, uh, the little money that's in our pockets, perhaps. We can do that in hosp with hospitality. Uh, we can do that with uh, catching up with people for a cup of coffee. Really, the range of options is, is totally, totally unlimited. But the principle here is that whatever God has given you, he wants a return on. And that doesn't mean that you have to go and sell it or get rid of it or anything like that. But he wants a return. He wants a return. And when we allow him to use it, we put ourselves firmly in a position of being stewards rather than being owners so that we can allocate rather than just accumulate to meet our own desires. You know, if my attitude is that of an owner, I will accumulate. And I'll be the beneficiary of that. I'll lay up treasures for myself. But if, if I'm a steward, I'll allocate. And that will give the opportunity for many to, be, to benefit. And that is how we lay up treasures in heaven. Just in finishing today's uh, talk, Jesus gave us this wisdom about laying up treasures in heaven. He said, do not store for your, up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, I want you to think about this, this verse. And just, just think about whether you're laying up uh, treasures on earth. Now, one of the things that I've come to realise about our treasures on earth is that we can't take it to the other side with us. Uh, there'll, there'll come a, a day, there'll come a point where whatever we have is passed on to someone else. Those that follow in our footsteps, those that follow after us, our children perhaps, uh, perhaps others. But God wants us to lay up treasures in heaven. How do we lay up treasures in heaven? Well, it's by contributing to Jesus' work on this earth. Now, the new commandment is to love one another as he has loved us. And when we love like Jesus and use our resources to, to facilitate that love, uh, we, we allow our, our, tre our treasure to be placed in heaven rather than just on this earth. And the second way is by telling people about Jesus. Uh, his will is that none shall perish. His will is that, uh, that, well, it's more than his will. His command is that we actually go and tell people about him. His command is that we be makers of disciples, each and every one of us. Not one of us is exempt from that. We're all here to take the good news to others and take people on that journey through this life and into eternity. Into eternity, where we can be with him forever and ever and ever. And so when we, we use our, our whole lives and our resources to do these things, that's when we're truly following him. We can't say that I'm a Christian or I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus shows us one way to live and we go off and live another way. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And we can't say, uh, Jesus, I'm going to follow you in this area of my life and this area of my life and this area of my life, but not, not my finances. I'm going to keep control over that myself. It doesn't work. If, we're, if we follow him, if he is our Lord, as, as they say, he's Lord of all or not at all. We can't, can't compartmentalise our lives. Now, at the end of the day, Jesus wants our hearts. And what you, what you do with what you have gives a clear indication as to where your heart is. If with what we have, we sow into his work on this earth, he has our hearts. But if with what we have, we just purely sow into things which will come back and benefit ourselves, he doesn't really have our hearts. We're still keeping, keeping hold of that. Now, I want to thank 
for people in this church for their yes, amazing generosity over the years. There have been people here who have just been absolutely stellar in the sacrificial giving uh, that they've shown. And they have proved themselves time and time again to be stewards, not owners. Stewards who will, accumu- who will allocate rather than accumulate. And you have blessed not just the church here, but you've blessed our city in the way and beyond in the way that the, the resources and the love that comes out of this place has flown. So I just want to thank you for that. But to those who have been owners rather than stewards, I invite you to enter into the joy of being a steward. I want you to experience the joy of giving and being used by God as you've never allowed him to do that before. For some of you, it'll mean actually coming, stepping right right outside of your comfort zone, stepping away from what you can control. But that's the place where we come face to face with God. That's the place where we come to, to have to depend upon him, to have to trust him as we come to actually live our lives his way. I understand for people it's going to, it's, it takes a journey, it takes a while to develop that kind of faith when you can go step by step by step. But start today somehow. If you haven't taken these steps yet, start today somehow. Start today with a step and another step and another step. Test him and see and experience the absolute joy of allowing him to use you perhaps in a new way. I'm just going to pray just to finish today's service and then Davo is going to come up and just share a word with us too. So perhaps we can all pray just as I finish. Father God, I thank you and praise you that you are such an amazing God. And Father, through your Holy Spirit, I ask that you fall upon each and every person here, that you saturate us with your presence, that you fill us to the point of overflowing. Lord, create in us a new heart, a generous heart, where we can all become stewards, not owners. And that the resources that you release to us will indeed flow out to many that we can be a conduit of your love. Father, I proclaim your blessings upon everyone here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed this talk. We've created a free resource for this series which is available for you over at towerracecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. You'll find links in the description. We are praying for you. Have a great week.